Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Mary Plastic. I am a founder of Upgrade Disability and your host. I would like to thank you for joining me today at the intersection of disability and politics. The road ahead can be a bumpy one, so buckle up and let's navigate this journey together. Hello, and thank you for joining me today. Would you please introduce yourself to our audience? Hey everyone, my name is Sean Gold. My pronouns are he and him. I'm an author, public speaker, and advocate for the disabled and chronically ill community. Also, I have one Microsoft certification for web design. Thank you for joining me today, Sean. Six songs is nonverbal. He has Iron Ross as his voice today. Sean, talk to me about a moment. I always say we have these defining moments in our disability journey. Talk to me about one of yours. I think a defining moment was after I broke my femur in October 2012. This year will be 10 years, which sounds crazy to realize. The years following were really defining because no one realized that I would need a wheelchair for as long as I did. Before that incident, I didn't need any assistance unless we were going to like an amusement park that was big. Mary, I think it took from 2012 to 2017 for me to feel like I had gained all of my strength. I still can't stand for a long time in place, but I can finally crawl again. It sounds weird to be proud of as a man, but damn it, I'm proud. Also, I could never stand up from the ground without assistance until just recently. Well, I can't do that either. So I understand. I also had an incident where I was walking before and then I had an accident. I was walking, I was ambulatory, still using a wheelchair, but I was mainly using a walker. And then something happened, and I also broke my legs. And now I'm dependent, not dependent. My wheelchair, I don't depend on it. It's my freedom, and that's why I used to get around. Now, what are some misconceptions people have about those who are non-verbal? I know the ones that people have about me because I have impaired speech, but what about those who are nonverbal? I think that the biggest one would be that I can't communicate or understand what people are saying, which is stupid. That's the blame of the media making it seem like it's one blanket disability trait. Just because people are nonverbal, it never gives you the right to disregard their presence. I can count many doctor's appointments and outings where they just talk to my family or friends. Out of the 13 years that I was in school, and that's not including college, there was only one year that I experienced a really in-my-face ableist teacher. He was an older Black gentleman, but that's no excuse for him continuously having a lack of understatement that even though I'm nonverbal, that I could hear. This teacher would say things to my nurse instead of me. Mind you, this is high school, so there wasn't much that I could do anyway. And when I did, it was a problem. And it was too late because the school year was over. What's unfortunate for high school students especially is that even when we speak up, hardly anything will be done. 
even if you know your patient can't respond at all, it shouldn't mean that you avoid speaking to them. Who knows if they're really capable of comprehending or not. And that happened to me, um, not really in like a school setting, but like I've been to doctor appointments, like you said, where they'll talk to my best friend instead of talking to me. And I'm sitting right there and I'm like, okay, well, I'm here, you can talk to me. And yeah, her one time I went to the bank and we went up to the tower at the same time. And the tower looks at my best friend and says, do you have her ID? And I got so pissed off. I said, you can talk to me. I have my ID. Why would he have my ID? So it's absolutely ridiculous that we are so often ignored and treated as though we don't have the autonomy to verbalize. And there are different ways of verbalizing and communicating. And I think that's what non-disabled people have to understand. It means you're non-verbal, because it means you don't communicate. It means you communicate in a different way, but it's still an effective way. Talk about the intersection of being young, disabled, gay, and black. Well, shit, asking it like that makes me think I'm in four minorities instead of three. It's difficult because you don't really fully fit in everywhere. In the Black community, it is an unspoken rule that you can't be Black and something else. Not Black and disabled, not Black and gay, not Black and in an interracial relationship, or be biracial yourself. If you are, then your Black side must be shown the most. It's crazy. So because I'm all four, at times... I'm in the most ignored demographic, even in the Black community. In the LGBT community, Black people are often like a fetish, which is dehumanizing. I don't feel like I fit in any demographic completely, and I don't really care. At the same time, is what I love about myself. I think when we add a layer of nuance about being this or being that, and you add a layer of disability, it gets complicate it even more. And why is it complicate it? Not necessarily for us, but for those around us, for people around us. Like, they can understand the gay or the queer. They can maybe understand myself being brown, you being black. But then you add queer or gay and disabled and like, brown or black, and that's just, for some reason, people are just so perplexed by it. And I'm not really sure why that is, or what it will take for people to understand that yes, you can be gay and disabled, you can be disabled and have multi-marginalized identities. Talk to me about TikTok. You and I always talk about TikTok and how you are like really, really big over on TikTok. So what's that been like getting the attention that you've been getting on TikTok? Mary, TikTok has the most amazing 
frustrating, weird, and fun algorithm I've ever seen in my life. I'm at 19,229 followers right now and after only being on there for a year. Nothing beats it. I can honestly say that most of my book sales came from TikTok. My account is still considered small, but I love it. I've made friends like Vicky Vox, who we both love, and Auntie Wigs. Imani is fantastic. I consider her one of the best in the disabled advocacy community. You keep calling me an email on why I'm not more popular on TikTok, and I keep telling you it's because I'm older than you. And that's the thing. I'm not in that young demographic anymore, even though in my mind I think I am, but I'm really not. It is cerebral probably awareness month. So I want to talk about cerebral probably in adults because we don't talk about that enough. You being a younger adult, me being a adult, how do you feel about the lack of research in adults with cerebral problems? I definitely want to see more research on CP. I have a neurologist that has CP as well, and she's passionate in trying to find one cure in her lifetime for at least one CP diagnosis. I think it's interesting that she wants to find a cure because I'm not so much about finding a cure for CP as much as tell me why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling and how am I going to feel in five or ten years from now. I'm not either. I just want my left hand cut off and I'm good. COVID's been really, really difficult, especially for the disabled and chronically ill community. How has society's attitude surrounding COVID affected you and your mental health? I'm burned out emotionally. I don't have any faith in this ending anytime soon. Society has really given the disabled community the middle finger, but they're slowly paying for the karma. I no longer have sympathy for those unvaccinated in the hospital who had the option to get it. These people are totally okay with the statistic of only the high risk dying. I mean, earlier this month, the news was celebrating that only disabled people and those at high risk are dying from COVID. I'm not mad. I'm not surprised. Not even hurt. This is how America feels about the disabled and chronically ill, and it doesn't even make me upset. At one point, the pandemic gave us the most accessibility of my life. Now, as long as able-bodied people can survive, it's all good. I can't be mad anymore. I want to get past the COVID leg. Um, I'm not there yet. I'm still very much in that angry stage about COVID, and just, I haven't moved past the being like whatever about it. I'm, I'm hoping to get there because by the time our audience listens to this, I've only been home for two years, my doctor's appointment. So I'm hoping that I will move past the COVID range, but I'm definitely not anywhere near that yet. It's better to be angry. What's a, a message that you have for the non-disabled community? And I ask because I wanted this podcast to be a platform for our community and to give a space for us to 
address everything we go through, everything we feel. What is something you want to say to the non-disabled community? Stop saying you are tired of the pandemic if you went back to quote-unquote normal by now. You're showing able-bodied privilege and your feelings are becoming invalid. We are exhausted. Also, pay disabled advocates for our online labor. We do it because we care, we love it, and we are passionate about it, but it's even better when we get appreciated for the work. I second what Sean said. Pay disabled advocates, educators, pay black disabled advocates and educators. Do your due diligence, diversify your fee, find advocates like Sean who are young and passionate and do the work every single day and do not expect free labor from them. Sean, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure. And as always, Pay disabled advocates. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Politics of Disability podcast. I can never get remember disability is political, disability is messy, disability is not powerful, nor does it have to be.